So hello and welcome to my listeners to the 11th episode of the Fiscal Yogi podcast. We are still talking with Lakshmi Sundaresh on this episode where we're talking about the constitution and the preamble and a whole lot more. Thank you very much for tuning in. Say hello Lakshmi. Hey guys. So in this episode we're going to talk more about the preamble and in case you've missed the previous episode we spent a lot of time discussing on what is the constitution and the history of the constitution and uh, all the things that are a part of it and it's a very interesting episode and I really really recommend you go back and check it out. For now we're going to talk about the preamble of the constitution and uh, I'm sure some of you may know that uh, there are a lot of protests going on about a recent bill that the that the government of India has moved and has passed in the parliament and it's called the Citizenship Amendment Act and there are a lot of protests which are going on in this act which uh, and the protesters are reading out the preamble so we also felt that we should read the preamble and then we realized that we didn't understand a whole lot of the words so that's what we're going to do today we're going to explain and try to understand a lot of the words and the meaning it has to our lives and uh, let's get into that we the people of india have solemnly resolved to constitute india into a sovereign socialist secular democratic republic and to secure to all its citizens justice social economic and political liberty of thought expression belief faith and worship equality of status and of opportunity and to promote among them all fraternity assuring the dignity of the individual and the unity and integrity of nation in our constituent assembly this 26th day of november 1949 do hereby adopt enact and give to ourselves this constitution so that that was the preamble of the indian constitution and there are a lot of words which i'd really like to get into uh we discussed the importance of we the people of india both in episode 9 where i talked about how the constitution is not some god given document it was more importantly not given to us by the britishers who actually felt that uh, we needed some help in drafting the constitution and said why don't we just do it for you and we said no thank you we'd like to do it for ourselves let's move on from there so let's let's talk about these five big words sovereign socialist secular democratic republic and let's try and break down some of these words so let's start with sovereign so sovereign uh, and this is a dictionary definition uh, uh, reminding you of how all college and school debates would start the oxford english dictionary defines sovereign as acting or done independently and without outside interference which basically means that india is free to decide upon her internal and external matters and will not bow down to influences from other powers it's also very important to remember that at the time the constitution was being written we had just come out or we were in the process of coming out of a couple of centuries of foreign oppressive rule so to stand up on that stage and say on the world stage and say that we are a sovereign nation we don't need uh, any country's help be it uh, great britain or china or russia or the usa to or anybody else for that matter to run our matters we are very confident that we will be able to do it ourselves and that is an essential part of being india of being indian is that we are free to choose what we like what we don't like about the way we run our country and nobody from outside is uh, is is allowed 
or i mean you can make your comments i think that that is obviously there i think even mm-hmm. with the recent past there has been like you know the malaysian uh, prime minister or president whoever said ki nahi your ca act is wrong and so on so you are free to make your comments and india is free to decide her policy based on what they feel, feel fit so i believe there was a lot of uh, we used to export a whole bunch of palm oil or some such to malaysia mm-hmm. and we like over like overnight stopped that because this malaysian prime minister said something which we didn't like so mm-hmm. we are free to do that there is nobody who can say how can you do that so that that's what sovereignty means uh you have anything to add there lakshmi i think another interesting part that came up that i don't know is that it also means apparently that uh we can either uh, give up some of our territory if we choose to or we can also acquire foreign territory which i'm not sure as in it's apparently subject to limitations but i guess we are if we want we can attack other places and also give up places if that works that also is a part of sovereign we don't need uh, we can do that whatever we want with our territory yes i think that would probably follow and again the important thing which i'd like to go back to the we the people of india bit is that the people of india define india it is mm-hmm. not defined by which state do we have or do we not have if tomorrow let's say forget uh, like you know don't don't imagine that it's a war that happens let's say climate change happens and our coastline cities are submerged under water 200 years later mumbai is gone bangalore is gone chennai is gone does india still remain to be india i would say yes people in bombay would be forced to evacuate you know mumbai would be rebuilt somewhere else further inland hopefully and mm-hmm. uh, india would still continue to exist so Uh, and in the same fashion let's say uh, a country was to we were to go to war with one of the people around and this hasn't happened since world war 2 almost where you know annexation formation of new or maybe ussr was probably the last great uh, when the ussr uh, broke up was the last great uh, time when new countries were formed overnight or over a period of a few years and we haven't seen that in the recent past but yes each of these each of these countries is sovereign and can is free to make her own policy decisions and can decide to whether to annex a certain part or give away some part it could be as a result of some sort of war or some sort of understanding that happens after the war but yeah i think that would definitely fall into the bucket of being a sovereign nation right. moving on to socialist so socialist is a very interesting part of this uh, discussion and i wanted to talk to you about this specifically we talked a little bit about this earlier as well so socialist was not a part of the original preamble to the constitution as was written in and adopted to ourselves on the 26th day of november in 1949 this was inserted later on during something which is known as the 42nd amendment and just by the way for the benefit of our listeners our constitution has is not like we were talking about it as a living document and therefore it has been amended several times over the past uh, 70 odd years since we adopted the the constitution and uh, the 42nd amendment specifically amended the preamble as well that was the only time when the preamble was amended and this was during indira gandhi's reign in the 70s 72 to 74 was when this uh, came in and uh, this word socialist was uh, put in and i'd like to read out uh, when when this was uh, being debated in the constituent assembly there was one mr kt shah who proposed an amendment seeking to declare india as a secular federal socialist nation and ambedkar in my limited reading about this topic ambedkar as a as a human being and as an intellectual seems like a such a towering giant over 
anybody that I've seen in in the Indian political system, I've, obviously in the since I've been following politics in India uh, since I've been growing up, his 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 vision and his uh, understanding is marvelous. Just listen to this. He responded to this. Uh, amendment saying my objections stated briefly are two in the first place the constitution is merely a mechanism for the purpose of regulating the work of various organs of the state it is not a mechanism whereby particular members or particular parties are installed in office what he's basically saying is that a constitution doesn't guarantee that nehru is going to be forever the prime minister or the congress party is forever going to rule the uh, the government I continue with uh, Patel. What should be the policy of the state? How the society should be organized in its social and economic side are matters which must be decided by the people themselves according to time and circumstances. It cannot be laid down in the constitution itself because that is destroying democracy altogether. He yes. goes on to say, if you state in the constitution that the social organization of the state shall take a particular form, you are, in my judgment, taking away the liberty of the people to decide what should be the social organization in which they wish to live. It is perfectly possible today for the majority people to hold that the socialist organization of society is better than the capitalist organization of society. But it would be perfectly possible for th thinking people to devise some other form of social organization which might be better than the social organization of today or tomorrow. I do not see, therefore, why the constitution should tie down the people to live in a particular form and not leave it to the people themselves to decide it for themselves. I just realized that a lot of people may not remember or have un or understand what a socialism actually means. So socialism is basically a political and economic theory of social organizations, which advocates that the means of production, distribution and exchange should be owned or regulated by the company as a whole, by the community as a whole, I mean. And uh, this is something that was very prevalent in the thought in the 50s and 60s. This was a time when China was kind of coming out of its uh, heritage, of its of all its fighting and of the World War II. And uh, Russia was a strong force in, uh, in, the, in the 50s. So it was not wrong. In fact, it was very common, common thought that socialism, socialism is the best way of organizing any community. And socialism basically ended up being that the government owned everything government owned all the factories all the roads all the places of employment and uh, they would themselves create employment they would also distribute the wealth they would also ensure that if there were poor people then they would take money from the rich and give it to the poor so that everybody would live somewhat equally uh, this has been indicted in a lot of places if you read animal farm by George Orwell. This was an excellent book about uh, the evils of socialism. Uh, recently also, I enjoyed watching how uh, the socialist state of uh, the USSR was portrayed in this HBO series called Chernobyl, where the state is so uh, interested, self-interested in keeping up its image in the world uh, circle when the Chernobyl accident happens and this nuclear reactor basically explodes and there is nuclear fallout which is being sent across 2000 odd miles and affecting so many people and all of that and they basically shut down the newspapers and say nobody's going to talk about it we'll see what happens later like you know this is a small accident it's nothing major so this is the entire socialism thing uh it, it's as an experiment i think it was it was uh condoned uh, it was expected to be the best way of of organizing communities at, at the time but since then uh, popular thought about it has changed so but then it's a part of our constitution and it was put in there by the 42nd amendment and there was some by the government which came after that that we were going to repeal 
some of the damage that was created by the 42nd amendment interestingly the 42nd amendment also changed the period of uh, the term of office for all elected representatives in both state and the central governments from 5 years to 6 years so that was repealed obviously because today we have governments which have only 5 years of ter- of tenure mm-hmm. but this particular one was not repealed revealed as well as mm-hmm. something else which came on later on which we'll talk about later so let's let's go on into secular and uh, secular is also something that is some uh, is al- almost become a curse word somehow people are called secular people are also <laughs> called libtards and that seems to be like a curse word i mm-hmm. i don't know what people are talking about these days sometimes but uh, secularism in the west is interpreted to mean that religion is a personal matter and the state completely denies the role of religion in public life yeah but our constitution interprets secularism slightly differently it mm-hmm. recognizes the presence of religion in our lives but before the government and the law all religions are equal and no religion can be favored over another so just because you belong to the majority religion you cannot take the law into your own hands and secular indians basically understand that all religions are saying the same thing kuch bhi kar lo tum wahi bolne wale ho be truthful be kind compassionate generous tolerant this is the teaching of every religion whether it is hinduism or islam or sikhism jainism buddhism or christianity or any of the other religions that you may have or if if you choose to not have a religion also these are wonderful tenets to have in your life being truthful being compassionate and so on so there is nothing which is uh, any religion is going to say which is going to be completely out of the box you may choose to adopt a certain form of uh, religion you may choose to be a uh, hindu or quite often you don't choose to be a, of a certain religion you more often than not you follow what your parents were following but whatever it be you have a uh, freedom to to follow whatever religion you want to practice whatever religion you want and uh, just because you belong to a certain religion you do not enjoy greater rights greater liberties than somebody belonging to a minority religion also at the time it is very important to remember that we were surrounded by states which had a state religion so pakistan had was a islamic state very very uh, well remembered in our country sri lanka was a uh, buddhist buddhist state and bangladesh when it was formed later became was also a, a islamic state so we we were always surrounded by uh, states which had a state religion and therefore minorities there did not have the same rights it's quite obvious that you if you were not for, uh, of the state religion you would not have the same rights and you you would be oppressed and atrocities would be committed on you and you had nothing to say you could have nothing to say against this democracy is basically let's let's come to the definition this is commonly ascribed to the us government this this definition which is government of the people government for the people and government by the people this was from the famous gettysburg address delivered by abraham lincoln sometime in the 1870s this is right after the civil war and is defined as a system of government by the whole population or all the eligible members of a state typically through elected representatives and we are quite familiar with democracy in in practice in our country so i don't think i'm going to spend too much time on that but basically democracy is why we have elections and uh, we have the the elections then lead to elected representatives which make it to your local houses and then so on so Now, on the topic of democracy i just wanted to add one point of that uh, there was not initially when uh, india considered what sort of nation it wanted to be there were a lot of people from england and from europe who were not so sure if democracy was the way to go just so because they considered india that most of the population is illiterate they might not understand uh, 
who to vote for. And that was one of the issues with uh, letting India be a democratic country in which they were like, people don't understand the nuances, so they won't uh, be able to uh, be a uh, be a productive part of the democracy and it might cause uh, issues. And so I think that was another thing that the founding fathers stood by was one person, one vote, was to ensure that no matter what your background is in India, that uh, you're guaranteed to vote. And they made it, uh, it's, they made sure of including things like the symbol, which is not common in other places to have a symbol against your name in order to vote. So they made a lot of, uh, uh, they, they had a lot of provisions to ensure that every single person is included and is allowed to vote. A republic is a state in which supreme power is held by the people and the elected representatives and which has an elected or nominated president rather than a monarch. This, I think, was an interesting point that Lakshmi and I were talking about. Uh, Lakshmi, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So, uh, basically, in a lot of these European countries, like the UK, Norway, it's a, the type of their uh, constitution is a constitutional monarch in which the head of the state is actually a monarch and the next monarch is going to be a descendant of that. Whereas in India the constitutional head of the state is president who's sort of elected uh, by the people. And he has a fixed term. Person who can be called the head of the state can be an ordinary person, can be somebody from minority. We had a woman president a couple of uh, years ago. And so it's a question of, yes, anybody uh, can become a part of the head of the state. So that's, I think, the main idea of a republic. The constitution says that the following things are guaranteed to us. So it says, number one, justice, which is social, economic and political. So again, going into definitions first, justice basically means just behavior or treatment. Or you could say equal behavior or equal treatment. Let's also talk a little bit about what is what are the social, economic and political justices that you may have. Social justice is a uh, right to equal uh, access to facilities. Obviously, this was a, a, a nudge or hint towards the oppression of minorities, oppression of women in Indian society at the time and even today, where the constitution was written to promise these uh, oppressed people equal uh, a justice, uh, a just system where they could equally uh, participate in the building of this great country along with their more privileged uh, counterparts, be it men or be it upper caste uh, Hindus or whoever else. Economic justice is also the sa- is also a part of the same thing where you, if you are allowed to participate in this uh, country, then you are allowed to therefore get the same pay. So equal pay for equal work was enshrined in the constitution for men and women was enshrined in the constitution. Similarly, politically, you could stand for elections and uh, you could uh, contest seats, you could have political uh, views that were against those of the of your oppressors and you the constitution basically allowed you to have that there was no there was nobody who could say that no you can't you are a dalit you have to stay down you have to stay oppressed that was not part of uh, the constitution at all let's yeah. move on to the next portion which uh, is liberty equality and fraternity this was actually a part of the French Revolution. It was a motto of the French Revolution and then later became 
the motto of France, fraternity, equality, and liberty. I can't say it in French, but it could probably sound better in that. Liberty of thought, expression, belief, faith, and worship. So pretty all-encompassing in terms of liberties or freedoms that you have. This is further discussed in Articles 14 to 18 of the Constitution. And like we discussed in the previous episode, this was the basis for the knocking down of Article 377. Obviously, there are reasonable limits to the amount of freedom that you have. And there's a famous phrase, which is that the right to swing my fist ends where the other man's nose begins. So you can you can swing your fist all you want. and But at the point at which you hit somebody else's face, that is where your freedom ends and that person's freedom begins. And then he can take you to court or he can do whatever he... Uh, well, he can take you to court. He can't do whatever he sees fit. He, should, he shouldn't hit you back. Mm-hmm. Uh, thought expression is part of being able to say what you want, think what you want. Belief and faith and worship are a part of, again, your religion. It could be other beliefs, like you could believe that the earth is flat. And as long as your belief doesn't uh, affect my freedoms, if you don't tell me that, okay, Anis, from tomorrow, everybody uh, around me is not allowed to fly because the earth is flat and you might fall off the edge. I'll say, no, thank you. You can keep your belief to yourself. As long as it's not hurting me, I'm fine. But if you start hurting me, I'm going to take you to court. So there are two examples. So one of the things that have been... uh that have caused issues to the current government of India in terms of liberty is one is the Jammu and Kashmir issue is when uh, they do not have internet for so many days and it's a question of liberty but uh, and that's uh, the advocates of civil liberties are completely against all these things in which if I want as an individual I want to access internet is a means for me to express my views and attitudes, then why should it be restricted? So that is one of the uh, examples that are being brought up in which individual liberties have been curbed. And the other one is the most famous demonetization in which uh, your economic liberty, that if you do have a thousand rupee note, then uh, you've been guaranteed that you can use that thousand rupee note to buy whatever goods and services that you want. And it's you're free to do what you want with that money within the legal framework. Let's forget about that. But uh, the fact that there were moments in which you could not use that money to buy whatever you wanted, be it something, be it a meal, be it medicines, be it something else, was the issue again of where uh, your civil liberties uh, were infringed upon by the government was one of the views. There are millions of examples, I'm sure. If you look into our history of the past 70 odd years, you'll find millions of places where civil liberties were were shut down upon or uh, the emergency was again. uh, Neither of us were were alive to experience the emergency. But from what we've heard and what we've read, it was uh, uh, by decree, you had no liberties. You had no freedom of expression. You could have freedom of thought just as long as the government didn't enter your brain and listen to what you were thinking. And you had no freedom of movement. And there were so many civil liberties which were basically just taken away from you. And uh, But it's it's a part of the constitution. So it's it's an effort from the writers of the constitution that this is what an ideal state should look like. And this is what an ideal government should function like. But it is also, that is where the part of where we play a role, right? If we are, if we are okay with giving up our liberties, then uh, that is where the, uh, the point is that what are you okay with giving up 
on what terms are you able to say that yes i'm doing this as my contribution to nation building is the rhetoric or the narrative and but then it is also your uh, but it is based on you giving up your right for what has been guaranteed to you by the constitution you have to hold up your end so it's a question of what we are uh, it's only true if you s- say that hey it's been taken away from me and uh, you're not supposed to do it i think that's why having an opinion regarding what you want is important because if you don't know uh, that what you want this is what uh, this is where i feel like my liberties have been it can be infringed upon to an extent where it's too late it's a very valid point you need to know what you want before you go and ask your government for it and you need to know what is actually given to you in the constitution itself because exactly. if you think about it the constitution itself was a very liberal document and it, it seemed to uh, especially coming from the times in which it was written where like we going into the next one where we where the constitution promised equality of status and of opportunity and we talked about the caste system there was also the zamindari system which subsequently has been reduced but its vestiges still remain uh, for example there are you know always stories of haryana mein bahut sare farmers hai jinke paas bahut sari land hai types so it's it's still a part of the of the country you can't ignore it and uh, but that's what the constitution and the makers of the constitution were trying to remove that you should have equality of status and of opportunity where they were also talking by status they meant that uh, there were certain titles that were given to uh, individuals like somebody could be called a bahadur or somebody who was for like you know this is the british government or people who were were knighted and so on and the government basically the constitution basically came and said that uh, only if you had uh, military or academic uh, titles you could carry them in your civil life but any other title that was given to you by a foreign power is you should you should just simply give it up so no more sir anis rao or madam i don't know what's what's dame dame lakshmi sundaresh couldn't exist in in a modern india yeah. finally fraternity assuring the dignity of the individual and the unity and integrity of the nation this again is an interesting line because the word integrity in the unity and integrity of the nation that word integrity was inserted by the 42nd amendment and i was trying to read up why that is so and i couldn't really understand why this particular word was interest was inserted because uh, and going back to what we were talking about that as a sovereign nation we may choose to uh, give up a certain part of our country and this interestingly happened about 2 years back where there were these parts of bangladesh like a circular part of bangladesh which was surrounded totally by india which was again surrounded totally by bangladesh so imagine like a vada within a vada within a vada <laughs> and like you know the innermost vada is india then there's a bit of bangladesh and there's another bit of india mm-hmm. and this was like a mess for all the people living there because you had to like uh, it was a mess for them to figure out which which whether they were living in india or bangladesh and whether they should be citizens of which country and so on so in 2017 the governments of india and bangladesh came together and said okay you know whatever is in the greater part of bangladesh you take it and all that area is yours and what was in the greater part of india we will take it and in the process india actually lost a little bit of like square kilometer area of india came down in mm-hmm. some very fractional amount i'm sure but it came down so that was still not uh, outside of the constitution constitution said yeah you you'll have to make certain compromise compromises as you see fit as you go along mm-hmm. and another example which uh, these guys at the puliyabazi podcast had uh, made was that you know let's say 
300 years later, the Earth becomes unfit for human habitation and we all pile into a space shuttle and we move to Mars. Are we still Indians there? If you were to colonize a certain part of Mars and say, okay, this is, uh, this is India on Mars, will the same rules of the constitution apply there? Obviously, yes, we're the same people. It's just that we move from one place and mass to another place. So why bring in this entire integrity of the nation and so on? I, I couldn't understand why it was brought in by the 42nd Amendment. Like we said, though, we are not lawyers. We are not very smart people on this subject. So we are going to leave uh, the detailed discussion of that for maybe another day with somebody who's much smarter than me. So that was the preamble and that was our discussion on the preamble. I hope you enjoyed listening to us go on for the last half an hour. Uh, I'd like to just round this off with a couple of discussions. One is what I promised Lakshmi I'd come back to later on, where, uh, and Ram Guha was making this point in uh, in some talk, which I was listening to, where he said that the makers of the constitution were not living in some sort of bubble that, uh, you know, you write this book and then people will all suddenly become equal and then we'll become fraternizing with everybody and we'll become all these wonderful things that we've written about in the constitution. No, he was very, uh, they were very well aware of that and Mahatma Gandhi was very well aware of that. And which is why the he had already set up various uh, organizations, various people to go out and do the foot soldier work of going to people and talking to them and saying and getting people on their side because and this is the interesting part of the way Indian democracy functioned even while the Britishers were a part of India. So from 1909-1910 when we've had some sort of uh, an assembly when the Congress was was being formed, there was always, it was government by consensus. It was decisions which were made by consensus. It was not a government of dictatorship, which is probably why the the country has survived for the past 70 years, because even back then that seed of of discourse, of discussion, of deliberation, and then finally coming to a consensus was actually sown much before even 1950 or 1947 when, when we became independent. And even then, even after 30 years of talking to people and building consensus, Gandhiji knew that there is still the battle is only half won by getting the Britishers out and by adopting a constitution. We still need to have people on the ground, on the floor, doing the work of the constitution, getting the message of the constitution across to people and convincing them. And that has happened slowly. I think over the past so many years, we are seeing the slow liberalization of people. It's not, obviously, if you look at the social media today, you'd find, you'd feel that it is not uh, so bad. But I think the fact that there are so many more people on the fence on on the, a topic like CAA is a testament to the fact that we have become more uh, more discursive. We we want to talk more and understand more before we come to a conclusion. And that was probably not the case when when the constituent assembly was in session, when people were too illiterate and then they just come into the sway of anybody coming and talking to them and saying, ha, boss, to myself, Sakuro, like, ha, ha, this fellow talks so well, he, he knows to write English and Hindi and I don't know how many other languages. He must be educated so he knows what he's saying. I will follow him. From there, we've come to a long place, a, a, a faraway place where you're like, ha, boss, okay, somebody is shouting away and telling me that I should support the CA and somebody else is shouting away and saying I should not support the CA. I am on the fence because I don't understand it and maybe because I haven't uh, put in the time and effort to understand it for myself. But I can make my own mind about it and I don't need somebody else to make my mind for it, make my mind for me. And I think that is a beginning. Definitely, it's not the end. It's not 
what the makers of the constitution definitely wanted still there is still oppression of dalits there is still oppression of women but the fact for example that you have managed to get this education and you are studying in the us and you're all alone that in effect that is that in itself is a, a testament to the fact that to some extent women have come out of their oppressive uh, history and which i think is the constitution should be lauded for the fact that this is where we are so about the constitution as in it's it's i still see it as an aspiration to more or less there are things that uh, do uh, make it uh, uh, that make me proud of it as a document but um like you said it has definitely achieved certain portions that we have the fact that in apart from those couple of years of emergency we have still remained a democracy for all this time is not a small feat as in it's amazing that it's still uh, able to function and um, yes those things i agree but then there's a lot of improvement on your topic of being uh, apolitical and things like that yes it's important that is our thing we need to delve we need to do we need to give some time to understand the nuances it's not necessary that you and i have the same opinion but it's necessary for us to look into it and uh, think about it at least for a little while so that we can form our own opinions i think that's the most important part of this takeaway is not do you have to have this sort of a thought no but you need to not be apathetic and say ah oh, is देश का कुछ नहीं होने वाला वॉट डिफरेंस विल आई मेक सो दैट्स नॉट दू गो सो आई थिंक दैट्स द मेन टेक अवे फ्रॉम वॉट एवर इज द फैक्ट दैट यू डोंट हैव टू हैव द मोस्ट न्यूस व्यू बट यू हैव टू एट लीस्ट गिवेंटरिंग So that was our episode on the preamble to the constitution. We spent a lot of time discussing the various terms in it. Thank you very much for listening. If you survived to this point, I think we we are well past the half an hour mark once again in this part two. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Lakshmi, for joining me on the show. It was a pleasure, Anish. And please tell your friends about this show. You can find the Fiscal Yogi podcast on wherever you find your podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. overcast podcast addict and all of these other places thank you very very much for listening once again and keep your eyes out for more episodes of the fiscal yogi podcast have a nice evening